Welcome to the Veranda Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Christine Mills. On the Veranda Entrepreneur Podcast, I feature entrepreneurs while I discuss ways you can grow your business today. Step onto the veranda, get a cup of tea, get comfortable, and let's talk shop. Let's do this. Hi, and welcome to the Veranda Financing Podcast, episode 22. Today, we are excited to have Dominique Broadway of Finances Demystified. Dominique Broadway is an award-winning financial planner, personal finance coach, speaker, finance expert, entrepreneur, and the founder of Finances Finances Demystified and the Social Money Tour. Welcome to the show, Dominique. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, today, I just want the viewers and the listeners to hear more about you as a child. Um, so tell us a little bit about Dominique Broadway as a child. Mm, let's see. I was a, I was a pretty interesting kid. Um, I was I was very uh, <laughs> I was a very okay. I would like to say I was a calm kid. I was I was a very like go with the flow, calm, collected. But I was very 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 bossy. Um, okay. <laughs> my dad always God, you're so bossy. And it's so funny, my dad was, like, a big, he was really big into, like, recording, like, all of, like, the moments of our, you know, of our lives. And Oh, that's nice. It's so funny when I go back, yeah, when I go back and look at those tapes and I'd be like, geez, I was a bossy little girl. Yeah, I, like, <laughs> <laughs> I was, like, so in control of him and, you know, always just trying to, you know, I always had little businesses that I ran. So I, I, I imagine that I was the same person, but smaller you know, but shorter and, and um with with less real authority. So <laughs> Right. It's amazing like how we are pretty much the same people from when we're children. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's super interesting. And I I'm still the same. Like I'm I grew up an only child. I didn't I didn't have my sister my sister wasn't born until I was seventeen. So Oh wow. You know, I was yeah, I was always like the popular kid, but at the same time I was super fine with being by myself. You know, I was very comfortable being alone I'm the same way now where you know I'll go out and hang out with my friends but then like I'm good like I don't need to see people for two three days like <laughs> but that is so I'm train, still though. the same yeah I'm still the same because it's funny like I was I was telling them so today I was like you know it's so funny I was out every single night Monday through Thursday and then Friday when everyone else wants to hang out I'm like I'm good I'm gonna stay home I got to work out the yeah and uh yeah so that's I've I've always been like that so you're like an introvert slash extrovert, like you're a mix of the two? Yeah, it's a, it's called an ambivert, actually. I'm an introvert, oh, okay. so I'm an introverted extrovert. So when I'm on, I'm on. When I'm when I'm not trying to be on, ready to be by myself, I totally embrace that. <laughs> you're like, I'm good. I'm at home. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. good on people, <laughs> yes. <laughs> See, I'm the opposite. I'm more of an introvert, but I do like to be around people, but... I mm-hmm. I have to come back to myself because it, it gets to be too much. Like, okay, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. What a lot of my friends, they say, uh, my close friends, they say, there's Dominique, and then there's DominiqueBroadway.com. Because DominiqueBroadway.com, she's, like, on, when she speaks, and then Dominique, once it's over, she's just, like, chill. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I've, I've always been like that. I know when to cut it on, and then when I cut it on, I cut it off, I can cut it off. (laughs) Well, you are doing an excellent job of making one of the most taboo subjects such an approachable topic and a fun topic as well. Like, when I've been following you on Instagram, I see all that you're doing, 
And um, money has always been like a very touchy subject. Um, and I just love the fact that you make it very fun, approachable, doable, and there's not a lot of shame around it. How do you go about doing that? Yeah, you know, I think, I mean, I, obviously we all feel as though we can improve and, and, and do better with creating better content to make this stuff even more digestible. But I think for me, you know, because I grew up talking about money, like it was a conversation that we had, if it was at my mom's house or my dad's house or my grandparents' house, we were always talking about, you know, not always, but I mean, it was, it was something that we talked about just like, oh, what are we having for dinner? Like, you know, it was, it was a very common topic. And so for me, oh, wow. it is easy to talk about. It's like, yeah, you know, I'm over my budget this week. So I'm going to stay home. Like, I don't mind telling my friends that like, oh my gosh, I'm going to, you know, Bali next week. I'm not about to be out here wasting money with y'all. Like, you know, I'm, I'm fine with having those conversations or saying, hey, you know, this is how much my mortgage is or my rent. And so for me, I'm used to that type of stuff. There's no shame that comes with it. Um, so for me, I think that the goal is really just making it or trying to have that conversation in a very normal way where we are relating it with things that we're already dealing with. So I know even my friends, they always joke to me like, girl, every time I get around you, I feel like I'm talking about my money. And I'm not even provoking them. It's just that <laughs> I'm usually so transparent about what's going on in my life financially that they their guards immediately come down. Mm -hmm. And so I think I try to do the same thing on social media where I'll share that like, you know, I started my business and I went broke and my house, you know, went into foreclosure and I got it back out. And like, you know, and if people are like, what is she dealing with that? I could talk about it too. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's just really being transparent because when you're transparent, it, like I said, it puts other people's guards down and it makes them transparent as well. And I think what's important, and I heard that interview when you were talking about your house going to foreclosure and pretty much the ugly side of entrepreneurship I think a lot of times people have this side of entrepreneurship that everything's great. You know, I started my company and I went public in two years and, you know, we're making a billion dollars. And there's another side of entrepreneurship that sometimes while you're building your business, your personal finances may take a hit. And for you to talk about those Valley experiences, you're right. People do appreciate it. And um, how do you, how do you think that can help people in regards to like when they're building their businesses Hearing you, your story, uh, some of our listeners don't know your story, but can you go into yeah. that and how it helps you build your business? Yeah, so um, I think, well, I guess long, long story short, um, essentially, you know, I've, I've been, I think I've had my business for about, I don't know, I need to see when I open this thing, five years ago, I think, um, but I okay. feel like I've really, you know, got figured it out within the past two and a half years. A lot of entrepreneurs will say the same thing. Like, yeah, I started years ago, but I think I really hit my, my stride <laughs> yeah. know, a few years ago. Um, and that's when, you know, when I hit my stride, I guess probably that two and a half, almost three years ago, um, is also when my, my financial situation turned around as well. But when I first started, you know, I was good. I had tons of money. I started, I quit my job. I was a financial planner um, at, a, at a brokerage firm um, and quit my job and started my company in about a week, which was awesome. Um, oh, but because I started it so, yeah, because I started it so quickly, um, I had no pricing, no structure. I had nothing in place. I was really just testing this thing out to see if, if anyone really needed this service, and, and they did. Um, so I had this overwhelming response of people who wanted just, like, financial advice and, like, financial coaching, and, you know, no financial planner would talk to them. And so essentially the good thing is I had – 
you know, I was busy. I had tons of people to help, but my pricing wasn't right. And so I was over using too much time, not making enough money. And so I was tapping into my, my savings and I had, I had about a year's worth of my salary saved. So I was tapping into my savings and, um, you know, like I said, making, I was making money, but it just wasn't enough money. And I started mm. to kind of like completely ignore um, the business finances and the personal finances. Because essentially it's kind of like I was making ends meet, but then after a while I wasn't because my okay. savings was empty. <laughs> it was <broke>. Right. <laughs> and then so at that point it was like that wake up call was like, oh crap, you're not really making money. You mm. just are living off of your savings. Now your savings gone. Now you have no money like that. Oh my God, that's the worst feeling in the world. So I like no money at all. I'm talking like no money, like wow. no money. And so the money was coming in, but obviously now that it wasn't, you know, I didn't have the cushion to live off of. It was, you know, it was, it was almost a paycheck to paycheck or a client to client situation. Even though, you know, the clients were coming in steadily, I still wasn't making enough money because um, I wasn't charging enough. And so essentially mm. I ended up my house going into foreclosure. My car got repossessed. And wow. I went and got got all I got all that stuff back. Thank, I mean I did well got the car back, um, which kind of almost actually ended up being a blessing in disguise. But anyway, um, yeah. ended up getting the car back because they basically settled for like a third of what I owed, which was like what. So, <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so I was like, okay, God, we'll come through a little blessing. But anyway, so I um, got the car back. Um, ended up working some things out with my lender and, and got like on a repayment plan for my mortgage sat down with my grandfather because I I called him my financial advisor and we had to go through all my finances. And I like, I literally gave him the spreadsheet that I give my clients. I was like, walk me through this process. Like, I need you to mentally take me through this process that I take my clients through. Because my clients were selling. I mean, they're buying a house. They're paying all debt. Like, they are <laughs> killing it. And I am like drowning. And so hmm. we literally went through that process of me like going through my income, going through my expenses. He helped me call my debtor, you know, my, my debtor. I mean, it was literally the same exact thing that I did with my clients, which was boggling the crap out of me. And, um, and then at the end, I had a plan. I had a strategy to get back on track, but I needed a third party to help me because I kept trying to do it by myself. And um, I just kept getting so overwhelmed, you know what I'm saying? And getting down mm-hmm. on myself and, you know, beating myself up about how did I get here? And I couldn't even get through the process. Right. And so, Anyway, that was something that I had to deal with mentally, which was very, very hard. But from all that, it ended up being probably better than any of these little other degrees I have. Um, I learned so much, not just about people's relationship with money, um, <clears throat> relationship with money and how, how it can be very, you know, how, how the anxiety that you can get by looking at, at, at maybe what you can consider a failure with your finances or, or in your life. Um, also too, you know, I, I learned a whole new set of, um, uh, financial skills. You know, it was before I was this, you know, licensed financial advisor for high net worth clients. And so I was, you know, helping people build their wealth, their, uh, wealth management portfolios right. and, and investing and things like that. And now I knew other stuff. I knew how to, you know, clean your credit back up. You know, mm-hmm. I knew how to, you know, negotiate with, with lenders and negotiate with creditors and, you know, um, it was a whole new set of skills. And so now mm-hmm. I'm able to help my clients on a whole new level. So at first, you know, I was like, God, why, why, why are you doing this to me? Like, I know you made me start this business. Now you got me out here broke, drowning, depressed. You know, I was mm-hmm. obviously very, very depressed while I'm going through this um, and still having to put a, a face on because I had so many people that were depending on me. It's only people that I was helping. Um, and right. so I think 
you know, I just learned so much through that process. Um, it was, yeah, I just, I just learned so much through that process that really helped me to, to grow my business. And once I got through that, you know, I was able to have a clear mindset about the business finances, about my personal finances, and also additional things that I could teach people how to do. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it was, it was what they say, like a setback for a comeback. And that's, that's literally what it was. Wow. There, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, thanks yeah. for sharing that. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, one, um, so I'm thinking that when you started your company, you were a wealth planner um, and a financial advisor at UBS first, and then you, you started Finances Demystified. And through your journey, your well, company- I, had, I was at another firm before I left. You, oh, okay. Oh, gosh. Where, I don't yeah, I was at, um, Mm, mm. I, I was at UBS and I went to Rick uh, Edelman Financial Services, worked under Rick Edelman, and then I went to, uh, I was at United Capital when I ended up starting okay. my company. And then I'm sure during that process, your personal process, finances demystified, did it change your brand a bit? Like what you were talking about the new new uh, skills that you developed. Did you get new clients? Did you change your pricing? How? Because I know that could be a problem too when you start your company, you have you look at one way, but then you realize that I might have to change my clientele. I might have to change the pricing. I might have to change who I'm approaching. Did that happen during that process as well? Um, I would say I didn't change who I was approaching. I definitely changed because I love the clients I was working with, and my client type has never changed okay. um, because I started my business to work with a very specific, not super specific, but a very specific person, you know, someone that's like me, it's millennial, entrepreneur or creative that a financial planner would never even touch, right? And okay. so that's basically what who I wanted to continue to work with. That was, that was why I started. I wanted to help people like me and my friends who were just like, I need help, but no one's helping me. Right. And so um, it didn't change that. But I did that. I definitely restructured my pricing. Um, I had to be realistic about how much time is it taking for me to help these people? You know what I'm saying? And so had to restructure my pricing for one-on-one, redid my packages for, for like, financial coaching or financial planning packages also put some digital products in place um mm-hmm. focused on making like the boot camp and things of that nature things that could kind of just sell themselves um and right. all those things in place really helped in addition to public speaking so i was getting so many requests for speaking engagements and i was realizing like that was taking a lot of time so i had to put other things in place to make sure while i'm getting these speaking engagements that i'm capturing leads but also, too, restructuring my speaker's packet. And I raised my speaker's fees, and people were just like, okay. So now, you know, I could command a couple of thousand dollars or a few thousand, well, a couple thousand dollars at a time to go and do these speaking engagements. And it's like, because you realize how much time it takes away from your business when you're doing this. And so I just had to be real with myself and start looking at not just my personal finances on a daily basis, but my business finances as well and saying, okay, you know, it's, you know, June 5th or whatever, how much money have I made this month? Like I have, now I have like daily and weekly revenue goals that I have to meet, you know, I Mm -hmm. had to put all those things in place because I'm like, this is not a hobby. This is a thing. This is something that I'm, that I'm growing. And now, you know, I have people that even work on my team. I'm about to onboard two new people next week. And it's like, I could never have gotten, thank you. Thank you. Like I couldn't have never have gotten there if I didn't take my my business finances a lot more seriously and treat it as such. Right. And I love that you said it's not a hobby, it's a business and yeah. um, treating it as such. Uh, 
two things. How do you get your into speaking engagements for our listeners who are they have a business and they're trying to mm-hmm. like develop a speaking platform or a speaking revenue source for their business? Yeah. How would you suggest they go about doing that? Um, I think the first thing, and I and I I get this question all the time. I do a lot. I do like on average forty speaking engagements a year. Oh. That's a and lot. <laughs> yeah, it is a lot. It's a lot. It's funny. Every at the end of at the end of every year, we always count to see how many I did. And um, it was interesting. Last year, I did less, but I made more because I did hmm. like, higher quality. But anyway, that pricing um, again, so right? <laughs> that pricing, that pricing. Even this year, I'm I'm on par to do less and make more, which is good because mm-hmm. I just you know the power of saying no. But anyway, um. Yeah, I started out speaking by speaking for free. And I, I also realize people always hate that, that answer. But um, I was speaking for free. And it was one of those situations where, you know, I would ask. First, I started out just asking, like, hey, can I come speak to your group? I did it as, like, a marketing thing. And people okay. would say, yeah, sure. And um, I would do so well, you know. And it was interesting. I remember as a kid crying to my mom, like, mom, I don't have a talent. Everyone has a talent but me. I couldn't figure out what my dang on talent was. And I was trying mm. to, I remember I tried to play the trumpet and clarinet and I sucked at that. And piano, I sucked at that. Like, and it, I guess I felt like I needed to have that talent. But I, when I looked back on it, the one thing that they always had me do was speak. I was always the representative for my class. I was always okay. the speaker at all the things. And, and I realized, I guess I had this natural gift. So anyway, I started asking people can I come speak to this thing like hey can I like do a free class I'm like finance and people like yeah sure and so that started growing so I you know always say no matter where you're speaking at just um speak as if they're paying you ten thousand dollars to speak and that's what I did I always gave my best performance and you never know who's in the room you never know who's in the room every single time I did a speaking engagement I've got I've done speaking engagements with five people and that turned into me speaking literally one time that turned into me getting um, like a $5,000 speaking engagement a year later in front of 400 people. Like wow. crazy, right? But yeah, so anyway, yeah, so it's like, it's interesting. I did one speaking engagement was turned into like a four-year contract with the National Park Services, which I'll wow. be going to next week. Yeah, so like I said, you never know who's in the room. I did one speaking engagement in front of a small group of women that turned into a contract with Living Social. Like, so you never know who's in the room. So I started out just asking people, like, can I speak, can I speak? And then from there, people were like, oh, my gosh, at the end, you were so great. Here's my card. I love you. I will, can you come speak to my group? And it happened organically. But obviously, this was over years. This was like right. five years in the making. So there's nothing that's necessarily overnight. Mm-hmm. There's some tips and tricks that you probably could do to speed it up. But you have to build that credibility. And, you know, I feel like speaking engagements are, are, are auditions. Like, I should have been an actress because, like, I am good on stage. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm boring when I get home, but I'm good on stage. And so, you know, I think that that's pretty much how it started out for, for me. Yeah. No, that that's great because I think as entrepreneurs, we need to have multiple sources of income. And speaking yeah. is a really great way to not only share your message about your company, and but also, like, give you opportunities in the future. Um, I yeah. know that, like, when you just started your company – um, you mentioned on another podcast that you used to have um, happy hours, like finance happy yeah. hours. Can you tell yeah. me a little bit about that? Yeah. So when I first started, so like one of my favorite things in the world to do is, well, three favorite things. 
brunch, happy hour traveling. Pretty much that's all I live for. So <laughs> maybe until I have like a kid or something. But other than that, that's <laughs> no, I think that's gonna stay the same. Like, Will they stay the same? Okay, good enough, good enough. So those are my that's my my three primary things I like to do. So I was like, you know, how am I gonna reach my audience? You know, what do what do what do what do I guess the easy thing I'm like, okay, well I am my audience. I am my own target audience. So where where do I hang out? Happy hour. Okay, cool. So we're gonna do happy hour. So I started doing these things called financially demystified happy hours. And um, I remember our very first, first one, we did it at the spot called Dirty Martini in um, D.C. in DuPont Circle. And we had like over 100 people that came out. It was crazy. Oh, wow. And that's literally how I started. Not necessarily started my business, I would say, but I started to build my email list. Okay. Um, and I was actually talking to Regina about this the other day. She's like, wow, so cool. From, I don't know if you know Regina, from by Regina. Because she's like, wow, this is a really unique way to build a list. And so I would do these happy hours. They were free. They literally cost me nothing. It cost me nothing. It was free for the people to come. I would just contact the venue, negotiate a deal, extend the happy hour. You know, I may spend like 40, 50 bucks on some little stuff that's there. Um, you know, we'd have little fun things to take pictures with, but they would cost me little to nothing. And so that's was how I built my list. No, I mean, it's open to whoever wants to come. Because the goal is to build the email list. So then okay. they would come. And then um, and I would just have it at the hottest spots in D.C. Like, you know, that's the one thing I'm really good with is building relationships with people. That's, I'm from D.C., so, like, I know everybody okay. and mama there. So I had it at all the hottest venues. So we had them at Park, uh, Dirty Martini, uh, the Hamilton, like, all the really, really popular places that you're like, wait, I went there and hung out with Diddy last night. Now I can go back tomorrow and talk oh, about that Diddy. Is so like, cool. those are the spots yeah. that I would have, like, just the things that – and so people would love to come there anyway. And so we right. have hundreds of people that would RSVP, you know, it's always a 30% show up rate when anything's free. But who cares? Because I got your email list, email address, and now you're on my list. And that was right. the whole goal. So we would have a couple hundred people that would sign up, really great show, show outs, and we would just be having these, these fun conversations about money over, over cocktails. And that was basically how, how I got that thing going. I haven't been able to do that in a very long time because now I speak for everybody else. Um, right, but I'm definitely hoping to. Uh, I was talking to a friend recently. I wanted, I want to start by doing that again because it was so fun and it was, you know, kind of how I got things going. So, and and I love that you said my customer is myself and where do mm-hmm. I hang out? And I think that's like a really big um, issue. Like when you're building your business, like who's your customer avatar? Who, where do they hang out? And also, I think it goes into your strategy of making this very approachable, very fun. Mm-hmm. You know, we could talk about money while we're sipping a cocktail and you know versus yeah. like okay let's meet at a library um and talk about your finances you know you might not get the same response no definitely you're definitely not gonna get the same yeah. <laughs> <at> <laughs> like, I, no, I mean, yeah i wouldn't even sorry I, i'm drinking some coffee i wouldn't even know where the nearest library is i guess i would have to google it but yeah i get what you're saying like <laughs> and i think for a large time like i think a lot of times we like companies use the same process over and over again and they're like okay why am I not getting um different results but that was such a fresh idea when I heard that I think that is genius uh, to have a happy hour to talk about finances I've I've never thought the two would go together but it makes so much sense just like brunch yeah 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 and for a service business you're always on the lookout for new clients and I think that's a lot more organic than um, cold calling, which can be intimidating for a lot of entrepreneurs. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, um, obviously, I have a traditional financial background, so I did, I did my cold calling days. Like I, <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I got it. Like I did it, but also, I mean, the internet was around back then, but social media wasn't as prevalent. But at the same time, you know, being a financial advisor, you, um, oh my gosh, compliance. Like I was literally working late last night dealing with compliance for one of my uh, brand clients. Um, that we're putting out some content for, and all of a sudden, compliance wants to change all this stuff like on a Friday night. And so, um, uh-huh. well, it was daytime for them because they were in California, but anyway, so okay. but you know, it's Friday night here, so, but you know, what yeah. I mean? and so I think it makes it very difficult for people who are in that traditional financial setting to, to do different fun stuff. So, but, um, but yeah, I think you know, just, I think people overthink trying to reach their audience, and I was just like, well, look, me and my friends are going to be here on Thursday anyway, so we might as well make some money doing it. So that was, you know, kind of the philosophy right. behind it. That's great. So just to step back a bit, and when you were talking about your um, advice, what advice would you mm-hmm. give to entrepreneurs? You're talking about being transparent, um, thinking about where their customers are. Um, thinking about like how what value you could give to them, um, but what advice would you give to entrepreneurs who they're they're trying to build their business, but at the same time they're trying to manage their finances while they're growing their small business? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to build, you said build their business and manage their finances. Yeah, mm-hmm. manage your finances. <laughs> okay, so. Hmm. I would say you have to make sure you're paying attention to both. I think that's where a lot of I think that's where a lot of entrepreneurs go wrong. Um, a lot of let's see how I can phrase this. So a lot of entrepreneurs go wrong because they are focusing exclusively on their business finances. They completely ignore their personal finances. So I've met a lot of entrepreneurs who have multi million dollar companies and have like personal finances in shambles, like credit, jacks, everything. Mm-hmm. So I think I've noticed that a lot. I mean, literally like, <laughs> I'm telling you doing a million plus revenue and sales and like coming to me like, Dominique, please help me. Our credit scores suck. We have no money saved, but our business is thriving because they put everything into the yeah. business. So yeah. I would just say from the beginning, if you can put some sort of system in place where you're making sure that you're, um, Watching your business and personal finances, it's really important. One of the things that I started doing once I was able to <laughs> was making sure I paid myself every month, right? So I get paid a flat amount every month, no matter how well the business does, I still get my small little paycheck and it works for me because yeah. it. I know that I'm getting paid a set amount. And when I tell my friends how much I get paid, they be like, girl, that's all you pay yourself? I'm like, that's all I need. Like, yeah. Why do I need to pay myself twenty thousand? Like I don't need that much. I don't because all I would do is just start living, living that lifestyle, and I don't need it. Now, right. obviously, if I need to pull more money, I can. But I make sure that I pay myself a set amount, so I know I'm getting paid a set amount. My bills get paid out of that. I can still save, invest, all that fun stuff. Um, but that helps me to keep things separate, so I'm not just going in and pulling money out of my business account for like random stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, and so I think that that was something that was really great for for me personally. But you have to make sure you're doing that from the jump because as your business starts to grow, um, you're gonna have less and less time from for these things. You know, you really are. People are, you know, they act like, oh, I have time to do this. Like, no, you won't. Like, I I've worked for a CPA firm before. I know accounting. 
but I do not need to be managing the books for finances and mystify. I don't, I don't have time sure. for it. And I really don't yeah. want to do it. So I, you know, I outsource that, you know, and so being real about what you're good at, you know, as entrepreneurs, we cannot do it all. We really can't. So, yeah. you know, make sure you're outsourcing and, um, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> and, and outsourcing and also perhaps look for a financial advisor. Like, so mm-hmm. if they're in that place and they're listening to you and they're like, you know what, I think she's right. I need to get a financial advisor to help me get all that in order. What should individuals look for in financial advisors? So I would say, um, what do you look for? Well, I, I think the first thing you want to do is look for a person. Well, I guess look for personality match. Believe it or not, that's a really important. Um, and so, because you want to make sure you're having, just like if you're looking for a therapist, you want to have someone that you feel very comfortable with talking to your yeah. finances about. And also someone that gets it. Like I've met with, you know, clients who have been like, I called so-and-so at this major bank. They put me in touch with like, we'll just call him John. And John was like, you know, 60 years old and was like basically telling me that I was horrible for having student loans. And I'm like, well, he doesn't get it. He never has to. You know what I mean? Like it's a different 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 conversation. Yeah, Yeah. it's a different time. And so he was kind of like shaming the dude about it. And it was like, you know, it's unfortunate but I think finding someone that has a good personality match, but also asking these potential people, how do you get paid? I think that's a question that um, people don't realize they can ask <laughs> financial advisors. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you get paid? Do you get paid from commission? Do you get paid a flat fee? Do you get paid a flat fee plus commission off the things that you're referring? Um, do you get paid, you know, a commission off of the assets that I manage? Can I hire you for just an hour for advice? You know what I mean? Like, ask them how they work. So I think that's where I've seen a lot of people get screwed over by financial advisors and saying, oh, I met with a financial advisor and all they did was sell me life insurance. I'm like, well, that wasn't a financial advisor. That was a life insurance agent. Like, right. Did they look at your budget? Did they look at anything? And there's nothing wrong with that. But you have to, you know, ask, you know, people are so scared to ask. But, you know, when you're meeting with these people, ask them those questions um, and, and get a personality match. And also make sure that they're asking you about their your entire financial picture. If you ever meet with a financial professional and they're not asking you about your budget, your savings, your debt, your entire financial picture, run. Because they can't help you if they don't know your entire financial situation. They can't Mm, help you if they only know how much you make. Because that just means they're trying to sell you something. So if they don't ask about everything at some point in your interaction, they're not going to be able to truly give you unbiased advice. That's so true. You're right. And it's and it's kind of hard to just wing your finances, um, especially if you're looking towards retirement and you're self-employed and you don't have like a company, a 401k that you could invest in. Mm-hmm. You really have to be very purposeful, especially when you're building your business. Yeah, yeah, you really do. Well, um, this is going into our rapid fire questions, and um, okay. this is really this section is really just to kind of get our listeners a good idea. Of, what Dominique is about and who you're about and um, just like one okay. question. Uh, so the first one is coffee or tea? Coffee. Coffee. Um, dessert or appetizers? Mm, dessert. Um, mountains or beaches? Mm, good question. I like, I like both. Uh, beaches. beaches. Uh, favorite thing about being an entrepreneur? The freedom. Yeah. Um, what's Dominique Broadway's superpower? 
Mm. Uh, superpower. I don't even know. I would say, what would my friends say? They would probably say my get up, my get up and go personality. Very yeah. uh, spontaneous. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. this next question, I know um, you're going to love this because you said you like to travel. So what's mm-hmm. your favorite vacation location? Um, my favorite vacation location is Mexico, believe it or not. Mexico, Cancun. yeah. Which yeah, part? Cancun. Um, just everything in Cancun, Cabo, Cancun, what is it, all that stuff that's in there. Uh, I don't even know. I just always go there. I can't remember what they're called. Puerto Morales, all those, whatever. Puerto's, whatever. But my favorite place I've been to has been yeah. has been Morocco. I absolutely oh. love Morocco. But yeah, but my yeah, favorite so, place that I frequent, yeah, <laughs> is, is Mexico. I, I saw on your Instagram, um, you learning like was that cooking in Morocco? Yes, I was actually. Well, I did take a cooking class in Morocco, but I also learned how to make um, what's that? Shea oil. Oh, shea butter no, oil? argan oil. Or, no, argan oil. Oh, wow. I was mushing up some argan. Yeah. Oh, my God. It was so cool. Oh, I hear so it's, cool. like, really good for your skin and, like, delays aging. Fun, and fun, fun fact about argan oil. So, all the women there, like, the old, like, the lady I was with, I don't know if you saw the video, but all of their hands, like, they, they work on this argan oil for years, right? Now, I guess when, when L'Oreal, whoever went over there and stole it from them, um, they was like, they realized that all the women, their hands have no wrinkles, y'all, like no wrinkles. Whatsoever. Oh, wow. Their faces are super wrinkly, no shade, but their faces are super wrinkly and their hands have like no wrinkles. And they realize it's because they've been working with the argan nuts and the argan oil, but they always oh, have some argan oil today. for years. <laughs> Isn't it crazy? It's, it's no, I'm about to buy I'm, some I'm, today. <laughs> Yeah, and I know I think I have footage in, in my camera still of this lady's hands. They were gorgeous. They had this, and then her face, like I said, she didn't look bad, but her face had all these wrinkles, and her hands had no wrinkles. You know, usually your hands will age. Yeah. With you, yeah. Anyway, fun fact, but yeah, so it was interesting. But yeah, that's <laughs> so when and I travel, I like to do stuff like that, like and, like kind of get into the culture and you know stuff like that. That yeah. is so cool. I mean, so. When you go to Morocco, did you uh, say anywhere particular that you could recommend? So I was there for about two and a half weeks, and clearly I'm bad with remembering locations. Um, I would have to look back at our itinerary, but we traveled all throughout Morocco. Um, We actually took planes throughout Morocco, and I can't—I would literally have to look and see where I was. That is so cool. I hear really good things, but we stayed. Yeah, I mean, we stayed at, like, these amazing just, like, hotels, like, in the middle of nowhere. We stayed in um, just a lot of awesome, um, some fancy hotel we stayed in. Something, something, I don't even know what they call it. I'm really bad with stuff like that. But no, um, okay. half the time, I didn't know where I, I Half the time, I had no idea where I was. I mean, some, some days we were driving for two and a half, three hours. Like, so it was like, wow. <laughs> just praying they weren't trying to kidnap us. But I, I love stuff like that. I mean, one night I stayed in a in a tent in um in the desert, which was, Oh, what two and a half hours off the main road, which was insane. But anyway, um, how was that? Yeah, so how was that? It was scary. It was it was it was fun, but it was it was one of those things where I was like, oh, did we 
pay all this money for them to kidnap us? Because it was, I mean, literally our phones didn't work. There was no way in hell you could ever tell anyone where you were if your phone did work. You couldn't say, oh, make a right. Like, we took so many turns and we were literally in the middle of the desert. Then we had to get on camels and ride the camels 15 oh minutes in to the campground. So, I mean, it wasn't like, oh, mom, this is where I am. Come get me. No, <laughs> like you couldn't even describe it. But it was it was an amazing experience and it was surprisingly cold in the desert. So I thought that mm. was pretty interesting. Um, so it gets really cold at night. So it's, it's just really cool to experience stuff like that. But yeah. And I'm sure the sky must have been amazing <laughs> to see that. Oh, like, the sky was the sky was great. Um, also in Peru, in Peru, the the skies are beautiful as well. Um, I climbed Machu Picchu, and that was just an amazing. Sight. Oh, nice. So, yeah, I um, yeah, I I love that's like my favorite thing to do. I love traveling, so that's why I work so hard to travel, go to happy hour, and lunch. <laughs> well, maybe um, in the future you'll have financial workshops throughout the world. Yes, and we're actually Sorry. we're actually talking about that. Oh, okay. <laughs> we're actually talking about that. Yeah, that I can see that working. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. So, um, the last question is, what does financial health mean to you? Ooh, financial health. I think to me, financial health means two parts. I will say one. You know, I think our goal is to be our finance, our healthiest self, which means we are completely aware of how much money we're bringing in, how much money we are uh, spending. You know, we have savings in place. We have investments in place. We have retirement planning in place. To me, that's truly being financially healthy. But if you're just getting started, I would say it can also be healthy just to take that first step. I mean, I think whenever you're going through something financially rough, like I said, clearly I have been there. I Mm -hmm. felt so financially healthy after I got my plan in place. I was Mm. still financially ill because my finances were still in shambles, but I had a plan. And so I immediately felt healthier. Um, And so to me, that's really what financial health means. And once you get it, get your finances to a point where they are healthy, being able to use that money as a tool to want and live life on your terms. And to me, that's when you are your financially, the financially healthiest. (laughs) That's great. That's great. Thank you. And thanks for joining us today. Um, How can listeners learn more about finances demystified? Yes. So um, I'm super easy to find, dominicbrawley.com, financesdemystified.com. We also have a Facebook group, Millennial Wealth Builders. Um, I'm on Instagram most of the time at Dominique Broadway or at Finances Demystified. And yeah, pretty easy to find. So please, you know, check us out, hop on the email list. Having my Insta stories where I spend most of my days. Thank you so much, Dominique. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure everything you spoke about today will be very helpful to our listeners. And, um, yeah, you make it very approachable um, to be financially healthy. And um, I think that people should really check you out. Again, her website is DominiqueBroadway.com, and her company is Finances Demystified. Thank you so much, Dominique. Thank you.